Cornelius lived in Caesarea, a seaport on the Mediterranean coast that was rebuilt by Herod the Great and named after Caesar Augustus. It was a center of Roman administration of the province of Palestine and served as a, in a sense, a showpiece for Roman culture. It even had a temple dedicated to Caesar. The Jews hated Caesarea, calling it the daughter of Edom, and would often speak of it as though it were no part of Judea. The population there had more Gentiles than Jews, and according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, riots between these two groups sparked off the Jewish war against Rome in A.D. 66. Josephus also claims the entire Jewish population of 20,000 in Caesarea were massacred in A.D. 66. This is a town that Peter was called to. This was after the time that Peter was there. He was there about 10 years after the day of Pentecost, probably in the 40s A.D., but I'm sure a lot of the tension, the prejudice, the hatred, the volatility was building and building and building. And not only was he called to this city that many Jews hated, but he was called to all things a Roman soldier, a Roman officer, Cornelius. Cornelius was a fairly common name for Roman men of that day because they had been freed by a man named Cornelius, so they often took his name and Cornelius was probably this man's middle name. We don't know his first name, but he went by Cornelius because of the freedom he had been granted. He was part of the Italian cohort. He was a centurion that had uh, authority over a hundred men and part of a larger regiment of probably six of those that made up 600 men. Stationed in Caesarea, a hotbed just waiting to explode and yet God said, Peter, that's exactly where I want you to go. You think Peter had some doubts? What? <laughs> Why me, Lord? Why would you send me to such a place that ever since I can remember growing up, my parents spoke badly about this place. My peers hated it. And they said only, you know, people that just want to take advantage of someone else who would go to a place like Caesarea. Caesarea was a hated place. There was a huge boundary, a barrier between those even who had come to Christ with Jewish backgrounds and that place because of those deep-seated issues that were part of their culture growing up. Every stage of church life, whether it was the early church or the church today or Chapter Mennonite Brethren in its 101st year at some point is going to face barriers and boundaries that will have to be overcome in order for it to continue to grow. And if they're not overcome, it won't grow. Sometimes there are personal boundaries that we face. Sometimes there are corporate boundaries because of the collection of the whole. We don't always know, but as we go along, as we deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil, there will be boundaries. There will be barriers that will come up that a church like ours, just as the church back in Peter's day, had to deal with. We may not be facing a modern-day Caesarea in a sense, but in a sense we are. Because every individual, 
And every church has their own Caesarea that they have to face, that God calls them to overcome. I'm not sure I know what that is, but I know that they're there. And so as we study God's word this morning and as we spend some time in prayer towards the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to reveal those things to us. It might be a personal boundary or barrier that God is saying, we got to deal with this because I want you to walk in victory and I want you to be a, 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 an ambassador of mine of the gospel in ways that perhaps you've never been before. But we've got to deal with this Caesarea in your life. And as a church family, perhaps God will begin to show there are perhaps some barriers or boundaries that are keeping a church like ours, any church really, that will face at times that have to be overcome, that have to be faced and said, okay, we'll deal with it, we'll face it, we'll repent of it if necessary, if that's part of the issue. Or we'll simply say, Lord, we don't understand, but we see your leadership in this, and so we're going to move ahead just as we saw in the life of Peter. We're used to boundaries. There's a boundary that separates us from a town up north called Kimberlina. It's a long-standing one around here. We came to find out about 19 years ago. Wow, that rivalry runs pretty deep, doesn't it? Yeah. There's another one that runs uh, between certain colors of teams like black and orange and blue and white. Just saying, you know, those kind of things that, that uh, we have fun with and certainly don't affect the gospel. But more serious ones in a place like Shafter can be ethnic at times, can be cultural, can be economic, can be educational, can be a variety of things that individuals and groups of people called churches face that they have to deal with at some point. Because for the sake of the gospel, there are people all around us that are thirsty, looking for something to satisfy more than what they're experiencing, that are hungry and they don't even know what they're hungry for. And the church of Jesus Christ has the answer. Peter knew that, but he had to be willing to obey the Lord and overcome that boundary or that barrier, or the gospel would have never gone to Caesarea through him. But he had the blessing of being that spokesperson to as much of a Gentile world as could be represented in a place like Caesarea. God may be calling us to do a similar thing. I don't know. That's his business. But as we study God's word, I trust that our hearts and minds are open to what God has for us today and in the days to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time you've given us this morning to worship. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together week after week worship you through your word, through prayer, through worship and song and giving, worship and fellowship, being together, just celebrating the relationship we have. We thank you, Lord, that that relationship transcends all other barriers and boundaries. And we saw maybe a little bit of a glimpse of that yesterday as, as people gathered from a previous church body that celebrated who you were and, and that fellowship that occurred uh, as we gathered for a, a hard time, a time to have to say goodbye to a friend and a loved one, but to also celebrate a life, a life that sowed eternal seeds in the lives of others. And so we do continue to lift Eunice and her family before you. And we thank you for the Wasco Bible Church and the way you used it in that community to establish North Kern Christian School so many years ago. And we 
pray your blessing and guidance upon it as they face boundaries and barriers too as a ministry, just as we do in every other church in town and every other church on the face of this planet. At times we'll face boundaries and barriers that need to be overcome. Thank you for the example of Peter that we're going to see this morning. We know you spoke to him in a very unusual way, ways that you typically don't do to us in our culture. We know in other cultures you choose to speak through visions and dreams and miraculous things that we talked about last week more than here. But Lord, you communicate clearly. And so most of all, help us to have ears to hear and hearts to understand and eyes to see that you might open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see your will personally and corporately and identify any boundaries or barriers that may be hindering the progress of the gospel in this particular place. Teach us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Crossing boundaries or barriers, I guess I would say those two terms are interchangeable. When I make up outlines, I kind of play with the words and settle on one and sometimes switch back to the other. So if I say boundaries, I mean boundaries. If I say barriers, I mean boundaries too. So just, you know, bear with me as I flip-flop back and forth in my, uh, the dictionary of my mind, so to speak. Acts chapter 10 is where we are. This took place about 10 years following the day of Pentecost, as I already mentioned. So you may begin to wonder, wow, it took 10 years for these guys to begin to really reach the Gentile world? Well, in God's timing, perhaps he needed to prepare Peter and the other leaders. He had to bring Paul to salvation. And we know Paul, in many ways, was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he declares himself that way. But the first real mission effort, significant one, it seems, happens in chapter 10, where Peter, a devout Jewish guy who came to faith in Christ and yet still had some of the trappings of his, of his culture and his upbringing with him, and we all do one way or another, was called to an extreme Gentile situation, a community that, as I already mentioned, was hated, absolutely hated by many of the Jewish people. But if we're going to cross boundaries... If Peter was going to do that, if we personally will do that, if, if a church is going to do that, I, there's at least three things I'd like to suggest that we have to have in place. First of all, crossing boundaries means responding to those in need, responding to those in need. Sometimes those needs are physical initially, so we see those and we respond to those and those needs open up opportunities, avenues to share the gospel with someone in word and deed. Sometimes it's, it's uh, just a relationship that develops over a common interest of some kind. But the greatest need that people have in our communities, and we have to remember this, is spiritual. Yes, they have physical needs. Yes, they have other needs. But the bottom line is you can be well-fed, well-clothed, have a nice house, but without Jesus, your ultimate need is not met. So that has to always be on the forefront of our mind. How can loving this person, what can I do to care for them in the name of Jesus with the hope and the goal of someday sharing Christ with them? Because they need Jesus. We all do. Responding to those in need. Verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea, that hated town, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly 
One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now that phrase, God-fearing, is a phrase that was used to describe people who seemed to adhere to the Jewish belief in a in a uh, one true God. The Romans were polytheistic, many gods. Uh, they, they held that the Caesars were deity and they had different gods of this and gods of that. But, the, but obviously the Jewish belief was in one true God. And so when some of the Roman people, the Gentile people, tired of their theology, realized this is pointless. I mean, how many gods can you have? And they maybe had a relationship with Jewish people. They began to... Follow the God of the Jewish people, the one true God. Now, those who were completely inducted into Judaism, uh, proselytites, we'd call them, or converts, went through all of the things that the Jewish person weren't. But those who decided, well, yeah, I'm not quite ready maybe for some of this, were called God-fearers or people who feared God, another way to say it. And they would, in a sense, they were a little bit on the outside, but yet still seeking God. And that's what Cornelius was and his family. The angel answered your prayers and gifts to the poor. In other words, his faith was shown in his actions. They've come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now think about what a tanner does. He kills animals, various things. For the Jewish person, that type of... Uh, that type of uh, dealing with meat, possibly pork, this kind of thing. So God is already beginning to prepare Peter by taking maybe baby steps towards a relationship with someone who dealt in a, had a, a business that maybe wasn't quite as, I'll say, kosher to the Jewish person. And Peter was taking baby steps towards this barrier, this boundary that was even greater to that. Sometimes God does that in their lives. He doesn't ask us to go from A to Z. We have to go from A to B to C to D, eventually getting to the point where we say, yes, Lord, I recognize this boundary or barrier, and I'm ready to deal with it. And you've prepared me for that. And it's often motivated by the needs we see around us. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, someone like him who was developing a relationship with God, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. Caesarea was on the coast. It was northwest of Jerusalem, about 65 miles, and about 35 miles north of Joppa. So several days to get there. You didn't just you know, get on a bus and go. It was usually by horse or by, by foot, most likely. And so probably a two- to three-day journey, depending on who, I guess, how fast you could walk, to be honest. So Peter is being, in a sense, tested. He's being tested to find out, are you ready for this next step, Peter? Are you ready to cross a barrier or a boundary that to your parents and your grandparents and maybe some of your peers would have been unthinkable? Why would you go to a place like Caesarea? Well, because there was someone in need there. Someone who was seeking God in their own way and yet still looking for answers and needed to know the gospel. I think the question for us, and maybe a question that, that Peter was asking himself at this time, was how maybe is the Lord testing you or our church as a whole to see if we're willing and ready 
to meet the needs around us. Ultimately, those needs are spiritual. God may be testing us a little bit, finding out, you really want to do this or not? You've done it for 100 years. How about the next 100? Are you really ready to press on or just kind of rest in your laurels at this point? Sometimes we can do that personally and corporately. Well, sometimes God will use difficulties to bring us, to bring our attention. He used those in the life of Joseph. And Joseph, as we know, went through some terrible things by the hand of his own brothers. He was basically discarded. He was picked up by, in, by slave traders. He was put into slavery. Eventually, he rose to power because God has had his hand on him. And then he gained perspective on what was happening. And he says this in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, to his brothers who thought he would probably now kill them because they had tried to kill him, don't be afraid. I, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. If you read the story of Joseph, my take on it, he was kind of a punk when he was growing up. Young kid, nice coat, maybe good looking. Hey, check it out, big brothers. And they might say he had it coming. Maybe he did. But God grew him up through all of the pain that he had to go through so that at just the right time, he said, Joseph, I have a special assignment for you. You're going to save your entire nation. And he was ready for it. Why? Because he took an easy road? No, he took one of the hardest roads you can take because God had to grow him up and test him. Where's your heart really, Joseph? Is it with me or just the status that you have now? God prepared him for that. Romans 8.21 or 8.28, a verse that we're all very familiar with. Let's, let's say it together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Is God bigger than your circumstances? Is God bigger than the pain in your life? Is God bigger than situations that come up that he may be saying, I'm preparing you through this? I didn't necessarily cause this, but in the course of life, I'm right there next to you because there's a bigger picture than just you. It's called my kingdom and my glory. Because it's really all about him, not us. But he's chosen to use us and to bless us and move us across barriers and boundaries at times. But sometimes we are only ready when we've gone through difficulties because he has to prepare us for what is yet to come. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 is another similar chapter. Helping us gain perspective on why is it so hard sometimes. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, that phrase of many kinds literally means multicolored. Now they're going to come in all shapes and sizes. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is God's goal for your life? To be like Jesus. Is he going to allow tough things to come? You bet he will. For all of us, individually and corporately at times, because he wants to grow us up, to mature us, to prepare us for the next step, which sometimes comes through difficulty. And we hang on to God and we say, you're, you're bigger than this situation, God. I know you are. 
I don't know exactly what you're going to do yet, but I'm trusting you in some form or fashion. Peter had the same kind of thoughts. Peter wasn't supernatural, but he served the same God. Peter didn't have an eternal perspective on everything all the time any more than we did, but he served the same God. And God began to expand his vision and began to reveal the barriers and the boundaries that were keeping him personally and the church corporately from moving into the areas that they were commanded to move into. It's called the Great Commission. That's not an optional activity. That's a command to be obeyed and to look at it and say, okay, Lord, what's the next step in this process of fulfilling the Great Commandment personally and corporately? It often begins with responding to those in need. So we need to think about who are the people that God has brought into our path? Who are the contact points that we have at work, at school, in our neighborhood, in our families at times? What is their greatest need? It's for Jesus. So how then can I be used by God to build a relationship with them if I don't have it already to hopefully invite them to come? To come, to come and to hear about Jesus and be given the opportunity to follow. Somebody did that for you at some point. And God is saying, I want to use you and us to do that for someone else. We may not even know who that someone else is yet. And it may be a barrier or a boundary that has to be overcome. But God is preparing us for that. The second way that I believe boundaries are crossed, and what that means is receiving guidance from the Lord. Now, both Peter and Cornelius received some very unique guidance, as we see. But Peter's vision starts in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, the, the uh, representatives from Cornelius, Peter went up on the roof to pray. It was a, people in those days had roofs for storage, for maybe in the cool of the evening they'd go up there, but it was also somewhat of a private place. He became hungry and wanted to eat, wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, we're not told what those were, but they were probably the things prescribed in Leviticus chapter 11 in the Old Testament that the Jewish person was to stay away from because God wanted to separate them from the pagan society around them. And their dietary laws reflected a lot of that separation. It wasn't always necessarily because it was better for them or worse for them. It was more a matter of, well, I want you to be different. I want you to be holy. And, the, and good Jews took that very seriously. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, there's a barrier here, a boundary that's been established, but I want you to overcome it. I'm taking it down. I'm, I'm changing this situation. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, perhaps reflective of Peter's denial. Three times, as we saw in the Gospels. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, 
Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. We see Peter's test by the Lord coming during a time of prayer while waiting for a meal. We all have to eat. We all, have, we all should be praying. And perhaps God wants to speak to our hearts as we're during those times of waiting, those private times. While Peter was contemplating the vision, the men from Cornelius came and they said, well, what God told you is exactly what we were told to come and, and invite you to do. I guess the question for us as we read this, we think, wow, that, that was kind of different. I've never had anything quite like I've had some weird dreams after eating some unusual foods. Maybe that's, you know, the closest thing we might come to. But typically, that's not our normal way of receiving guidance from the Lord. So how does he guide us today? And we talked a little bit about that last week. And in Muslim cultures, he still speaks to people quite a bit in visions and dreams. And we hear stories of people coming to Christ from Muslim backgrounds because they had a vision or a dream. And in that was Jesus, and he's calling them to himself. And next thing you know, they're following Christ. We talked about India and how Pastor Kieran made it very clear that the church in India does not grow without miracles, period. Different culture, different time. God chooses to do those things there. But how does he speak to us? We're not saying he can't do it those ways to us, but typically I'd say he probably doesn't or probably won't. But he still speaks. Well, he speaks through his word primarily. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18 to 20. Let's read that together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. Our next verse, Mark 13, 30. Truly I tell you, let's read together. This generation will certainly not pass away. That's not the verse, let's see. Uh, should be, keep going. Next one. Nope, I'm sorry. It should be, let me look that up. I probably gave them the wrong reference. Boy, that really throws me off. Must be a barrier. I had a thinking barrier. Matthew, I'm getting there. They had it right, but I had it wrong. Matthew, or Mark 13. So while I'm looking for it, I just messed up. Okay, well, I'll just sum it up for you. The great commandment, love God and love people. <laughs> How about that? I just memorized it for you. <laughs> my, my fault for having the wrong reference there. So what do we know for sure? God has given us the great commission. Go and make disciples. Make disciples is a command in Greek. 
make disciples. That's a command to be obeyed, to be followed, to be figured out as we trust God's guidance. We know that the great commandment is to love God and to love people. So as we grow in our love for God, then we extend that love to other people. Those are two things that we know for sure that God has called us to do, that he has communicated to us very clearly. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, there's going to be things that we go, well, Lord, I know I'm supposed to make disciples. We know we're supposed to make disciples. I know I'm supposed to love you and love others. We know we're supposed to do that together. But boy, sometimes I'm not always sure exactly how to do that. Well, then we go to passages like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. His will is always what's best. And he will make your paths straight. God also gives us instructors through teaching. Many of you just came out of Sunday school. Many of you are in Bible studies throughout the week. Many of you are reading on your own. God has given us uh, the ability to learn from one another. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, we, we had a great turn. I had 31 guys show up. We talked about basically speaking truth into one another's lives through those relationships that develop. Sometimes we call it mentoring or discipling or different things, but how do we speak into the lives of others? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, give us some insight to that. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, those were foundational to the church, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, there's that word mature again as we grow up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking into one another's lives, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So how does God speak to us today? He speaks to us through his word. What do we know for sure? The great commission and the great commandment. When we're not sure, we trust the Lord with all of our hearts. We submit ourselves to him and he will guide our paths into the things that he wants us to do identifying those boundaries and barriers at times that he wants us to overcome. But he also uses the body to speak truth into one another. Some of the best direction I have gotten over the years in my life is by going to trusted friends and say, I've got a, I've got a decision to make. Let me lay it out for you. Can you help me out? And this person will speak truth into my life. We call it cultivate, plant, and reap. Cultivating relationships, planting truth, and reaping the harvest of God's eternal word in the lives of one another and also in the lives of non-believers as we share with them. So as we identify boundaries, those are often those that are identified with people's needs, and we respond to those needs. We receive guidance from the Lord, from his word, through prayer, through worship, through one another, sometimes through circumstances. God causes these things to work together for good so that we can continue to move forward personally and corporately. And then finally, we recognize a movement of God. What is God telling us to do? What is he asking us to do individually and corporately at time? Verses 33 or 23b through 48. 
And in my fluster of having the wrong verse, I lost my place in Acts. So bear with me for a second here and I'll find my way again. Chapter 10, verses 23 through 48. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa, about 33 miles to go, and went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. The Roman culture tended to revere people a little too much at times. Peter recognized that. So his response was, he made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. God had drawn a group together to hear what Peter had to say. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. A boundary, a barrier that had been set up for a period of time, but God has now taken that away. Ephesians chapter 2 that Joe read. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we all are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, not an option, it's a command to be obeyed and as God directs us personally and corporately, as we respond to those in need, as we receive guidance from the Lord, we become part of a movement of God to reach people. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter is summarizing the gospel, the message of Jesus, to these people who were hungry and thirsty and believed that God had a word for them. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, these eyewitnesses that will be spoken of again in chapter 11, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, especially in a place like Caesarea. 
where they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God just as the Jewish converts had in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The Lord moved mightily among those gathered. He had prepared them. He had prepared Peter through various experiences. Some very difficult for Peter. Yet prepared his heart and his mind to respond to those in need. To be open to his guidance. To obey him. To follow him. And to move into a place that would have been unheard of perhaps. Had never been done before. And yet that's what God had called him to do. So some questions for us. Similar perhaps to what Peter wondered about. How might the Lord want to redirect us personally or corporately to reach people in our community with the gospel? Are there any barriers that we need to be, that need to be dealt with in our lives or in the life of of chapter MB. God the Holy Spirit is at work, convicting, enlightening, helping us to understand. Those barriers may not have anything to do with some of the typical things that are in a community like ours. They may have to do with style of ministry or new ministries, things we've never done before. I don't know. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I know that God does. And I know that he speaks to a body like ours in guiding us, directing us as we are in a process of asking those kinds of questions. Your church council is studying back through a book called Four Chair Discipling that we, uh, a number of us were trained in uh, last, uh, last August or September and have committed to rereading the chapters and discussing them at our monthly meetings. Why are we doing that? Because we realize that we as leaders have to be open to God's guidance and leadership, perhaps a new movement within our midst of things that will need to be different in the future. We don't know all the answers, but we know that God does. And so as we are seeking him, as we are discussing these things, and we are praying, and we have restarted our master planning committee to ask very similar questions from members of the congregation, my encouragement to each of us is, be open to what God wants. We know for sure he calls us to love himself and love people. We know for sure he calls us to fulfill the Great Commission. How he chooses to do that in us and through us is completely up to him. But there will be Caesareas along the way. And there may be some resistance because it's like, we don't do that. We've never done that. And yet God may, say, may be saying, well, I want to make some changes. I don't know. I'm not God. But I know that God loves us. He loves this community. He loves the communities we're from. He wants to continue to reach them. And he wants to use this body and the other bodies in our community to do that. So here's what I want you to do. We've got just a few minutes left here. I want you to take out a pen or pencil, whichever one you've got. And on your sermon outline, I'd like you to write down the name or names of a person or a group of people that you would like to see reach for the gospel, individually or corporately here at Chapter MB. So just take a, 
Take a moment to do that. Maybe God has already laid this person or persons or group on your heart and you're saying, oh man, I would love to see them come to Christ through our church or maybe another church. It's not all about us. It's about God and his kingdom. And by the way, there are other churches in our community. I'm sure you knew that. (laughs) So it's okay if they grow too. But we want to make sure that we are following God's leadership as Peter did, identifying barriers and boundaries and then addressing those as we need to personally and corporately, because there are people all around us in need. We want his guidance, and we want to be part of his moving in our community. So write those names down of groups or people. All right, I trust that you have at least one or more written down. Now I'm going to give us just a few minutes by ourselves. You can, you're certainly welcome to pray out loud, but I want you to pray about that. And I want all of us, including myself, to ask God, is there a barrier or boundary you're asking me to cross over in order to reach this person or this group? And if there is, please help me to know what that is and what you're asking of me or asking of us. Because we really want to obey you. We want to obey you. We want to see you use us to love people in a way perhaps they've never been loved, and we want to reach them with the gospel because we have the answer. They don't. And it's our job, our responsibility, to find ways to help them to come. Either come to this place, or we go to them, or a little bit of both, and we reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment to do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and just be ready to lead our closing song. And I'm going to ask you to pray for the opportunity to share your own faith story with those on your list. Maybe that's your biggest barrier, fear. Fear. What would I say? Tell them your story. Just tell them how you came to Jesus. That's your story. doesn't have to be mine or somebody else's, just yours. That may be one of the biggest boundaries or barriers we face. Telling our story to someone else. That needs to be overcome. It has to be overcome for us to grow. To share our story with others, that is one of the most basic things that we can do to meet the needs of other people. It's a tough one, isn't it? That's something to pray about. So pray about that this morning. Pray for those opportunities, divine appointments with those contact points that God has given us. Ask the Lord to identify any boundary or barrier that might hinder you or our church from following God and what he wants to do. Let's pray together and then we'll... I will close in prayer and we will sing. Our Father, we thank you that you have chosen to build your church on this earth. Sometimes we wonder if it would be easier if someone accepted Christ and you just take them immediately to heaven. But that's not what you've chosen to do, Lord. You've chosen to to leave us here for a time to be a living witness, to respond to those in need as Peter did 
to overcome barriers, boundaries, some small, some major, as you've led Peter to do, because you are always working. You are always in your field, your vineyard, to call people, to build your body, and you choose to use your people to do that. We know you work differently in different parts of the world. We recognize that from church history, but Lord, we believe that all around us are needy people. We know there's needy people around us. And so I pray that you would burden our hearts, Lord, that you would just burden us with the people that we have contact with that don't know Jesus, or groups of people, perhaps. And you would help us to pray and to be open to your leadership and removing any barriers or boundaries that might keep us personally or corporately from reaching them. Lord, perhaps one of the biggest ones that we would want to confess to you is simply fear. Fear of maybe not knowing what to say and how to say it. Lord, help us to have the confidence of the Holy Spirit that when you open those doors, we just share our story. Help us to do that, Lord. And so as we continue to think about this, pray about it, Lord, we trust your guidance, your movement, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see as you see and what you're wanting to do in and through us. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory because it's, it's all about you. Thank you for, for ministering to us today, Holy Spirit. May you continue to minister to us as we leave this, leave this place where we look forward to gathering again as your body. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing our closing song.